Hello and welcome to Inside Intercom. I'm Liam Geraghty. Today, my guest is Micah Solomon, a customer service and experience transformation consultant, speaker and author. In fact, Inc. magazine recently crowned him the world's number one customer service transformation expert. You can't get better than that. Micah is the author of five books on customer service and the customer service experience, the latest of which is titled Ignore Your Customers and They'll Go Away, the simple playbook for delivering the ultimate customer service. On this episode, we talk about what it means to have a CS culture in your company, when to wow your customers and crucially when not to, and we'll be chatting about how 83% of support teams are reporting that they've seen customer expectations increase over the past year. That's from our latest customer support trends report. We talk about that stat and what it means for meeting the expectations of your customers. So without further ado, let's head over to studio to meet Micah Solomon. Micah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure, Liam. Thank you for having me. So just before we get started, could you tell us a little bit about what you do? I'm a customer service consultant, speaker, trainer. This gets a little long. <laughs> Training designer and author. To put it all together, Inc. Magazine calls me a customer service transformation expert. So I go into a company and I see how they're doing now and we elevate it. Now, I will tell you that mostly companies that already are doing pretty well on their customer service contact me. I don't want to make fun of any of your Irish airlines. (laughs) They tend to be doing well enough that they understand the value of customer service. If they're just terrible, but they're still making money, they found some other way to make money. They don't usually call me. (laughs) (laughs) that's hilarious but how did you come to do all this in the first place okay so there's two stories to that they're both true the more press release friendly one is i built a manufacturing company of all things from the ground up from a spare bedroom in my certainly not zone for it little house and i built it to the second largest company in our little niche And that, by the way, is much easier than building it into the biggest, because when you build it into the second biggest, you can sell it to your biggest competitor because they're getting a little nervous. So I did that. I realized that our competitive advantage always was the customer experience and our customer service. Our widgets weren't any rounder. They were just as good as everyone else's. So why could we charge a small premium, like, you know, an eighth of a cent per widget? And why were people so loyal? It was the experience. So, sorry, this is a long story. So, No, please. Once I sold my company, there is this great quote from, um, oh, who is the author? John, John Le Carre. And he uh, says that watching your novel being turned into a movie is like watching your oxen being turned into bullion cubes. <laughs> so it's a little, not quite that bad, but it's a little bit that way when you sell your company. So... I decided I needed to reinvent myself. So I called this friend of mine who invented all the great processes at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company. And I said, Leonardo, do you want to write a book together? You know all of this from hospitality. I know all of it from business to business. And he said, and I'm quoting Liam, no, I'm going to write my own book. So I was like, okay, good luck with that. I called him back, I don't know, six months later. And I said, hey, how's that book coming? And he said, oh, you know, 
I haven't done anything, but I think this is how deluded he was. I think I'm going to go away, go away to Bermuda for a weekend and write it. I was like, okay, good luck with that. Then like five minutes later, he called me back sheepishly and he said, my wife, she overheard that call and she says, I have to write this book with Micah because I'm clearly not getting it done on my own. Clearly. So that was my first, I, hey, look at that. I have a visual aid right here. That was my first book, Exceptional Service, Exceptional Profit. And um, there you go. The other story, which isn't quite as press release friendly, but is probably funnier, is perhaps like you, Liam, I've always just been a really particular person. Growing up, my brother would not sit down with me in a movie theater until I'd tried three different spots because he knew we were going to be moving again. <laughs> and my parents preserved this letter from the first time I went to summer camp. And I have it, or at least a reconstruction of it somewhere. But it wow. basically said... Dear Mr. and Mrs. Solomon, we are returning your son to you for the off-season. We are used to getting complaints from campers like, oh, it rains too much and so forth. But your sons were much more specific. The um, sloppy Joes and the hamburgers in the mess hall didn't pair well with the orange juice. The whistle <laughs> on the waterfront was out of tune. So our, we are returning him and the rigorous pleasures of being with him until next summer. <laughs> oh, what a fantastic letter to have. <laughs> so there you go. So oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> so that was your first book right. and, and you've done numerous since, but am I right in saying the last one is Ignore Your Customers and They'll Go Away, the simple playbook for delivering the ultimate customer service experience. That is correct. And my gosh, it sounds better with a little bit of a brogue on there. Wow. <laughs> I mean, so you use this phrase in it, a default of yes. What does that mean? And could you give us an example of a company who's used it? So the default of yes, or default of yes, as we say it here, in the, it's, a, it's a concept that you're going to strive to have this attitude. The answer is yes, or it's going to be yes. Now, what is your question? Instead of, oh, here's another customer, they're going to have a demand, and I'm going to have to figure out why I need to say no. So if you walk into a wonderful hotel or a few of the department stores, like we have a great one here called um, Nordstrom. And you walk in there and just everyone is just dying to say yes. They just have to figure out what you're asking for. And you asked for an example. So I do have an example from this Nordstrom department store. I like to wear, you can actually see because it's a nice warm day. I like to wear button down short sleeve shirts to show off my freckles. Thank you very much, <laughs> which I probably got from that summer at summer camp. And Nordstrom used to own, I can never pronounce it, but Fashionable, they a wonderful company. And so I would call Joanne, my salesperson there, and I'd say, hey, I'm ready for a few more shirts. And one time I called and she said, Micah, I've got really bad news. And I thought, oh my God, someone's died or something. The bad news was Nordstrom sold Fashionable. She literally couldn't get the shirts anymore. But she said, do you have 24 hours you can give me? I was like, sure, take 25. It's not a short sleeve shirt <laughs> button down emergency. So she called me back 22 hours later because I'm a horrible person. I timed it. And um, <laughs> she said, Micah, have you ever heard of Brooks Brothers? 
And I was like, yes, of course. Like one of their most vicious competitors, Brooks Brothers. So she said, well, let's go to the Brooks Brothers site and we'll co-navigate together. And she found me some shirts that they're not quite the same, but they work. So Joanne didn't make a penny off that sale, but she's gotten all the orders for larger ticket items from me. And I mentioned her in probably three books. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you do if you can't say yes? I think the Forbes standard is great here. If you want to be a five-star hotel, or I think even a four-star, the rule is never say no to a guest without offering one to two reasonable alternatives. And a reasonable alternative can't be, how about never? Does never work for you? It has to be something reasonable. So a good hospitality example is you can't Someone comes in at I don't know, 2 p.m. and still wants to have breakfast, but they're setting up for lunch. You don't just say no. You would say, well, first of all, you would do what you could. But if there's like the pest exterminator in the restaurant, whatnot, you'll say, I can accommodate you out here on the pavilion or by this cozy uh, fireplace. So that might be alternative one. Or we can do a sumptuous breakfast in your uh, guest room. So that would be two alternatives. I do make an exception, though, for the default of yes. And my exception is it doesn't apply to anything related to safety, security, privacy, health, or I think ethics. So sad, sad privacy example, Apple tries to be very nice to that. I mean, very accommodating to the customers by and large. And many years ago, and I probably have the story slightly wrong, Someone called in and begged them for the password on such and such. And this is before all these reset passwords were so easy. Right. And they convinced the person and they gave them the password. And it turned out it was some hacker. So you can be too nice on one of these safety, security, privacy, or health. Or, you know, there are parents who ask hotels, can I just prop up the gate to the swimming pool? Because I want to load in all this stuff for my kid's birthday. Well, the answer has to be no. Or I wouldn't imagine this ever happening in Dublin, but... Over service of alcohol? (laughs) That's a low blow. (laughs) I take the low-hanging fruit first. (laughs) So something that we often focus, especially on this podcast, we often focus on the customer in these conversations. But company culture, especially a customer service culture, is really important too. So I, I was just wondering, what does it mean to have a CS culture and What advice would you give to folks looking to improve theirs? Absolutely. So the first thing I'd say, because people always give me grief on this, is having a customer service culture doesn't mean that you don't also have an employee service culture. But it does mean, or I shouldn't say but, I would say, and it does mean that you understand that the customer is paying your bills. So there's a little bit of theater involved. There's... Just niceties, like we don't use our internal jargon with customers. Just things like that. So I've made my Solomon customer service culture matrix or service culture matrix, and it only has four boxes. So one is how we serve our customers. And the other key one is how we serve those who serve our customers. So those who serve our customers are our employees, maybe even our bosses, our vendors, and so forth. So that's it. But then I made a crosshatch where how do you do this when the stress is low versus when stress is high? You go to some places like a Disney park 
And they, I'm serious, they operate best when it's like 90% capacity or better. And if it's like 65% capacity, they're kind of, you know, cooling their heels and maybe it's not even quite as good. But most companies, when there is more stress, when there's you know, a hurricane on the horizon or they do more poorly. And it works as well with the interior, what we could call the internal customers. You know, they beat up on vendors when times are tight and so forth. So that's it. And so how do you create it? Well, ideally you start in hiring or what I like to call employee selection. So if you select people with a good person, traits for this, that's ideal. If you can't do that, then you can work on building what's called situational empathy, which is in this situation, I am attuned to what stressors my uh, customer may be experiencing. And then it's great from there because what happens is positive peer pressure. So back to the Apple store, if you walk into the Apple store, or the most recent one I walked into, there's all these people and they're pumped up about getting you what you need. They know the equipment, but they're not just geeks. They're geeks plus they're excited about helping you get it, even if, as is often the case, you don't really speak geek language. So that started with the first employees that Apple hired. And in fact, they did send um, them to the Ritz-Carlton training. And then from there, it's grown. We just know that this is how it's done here. And you can go to other places and you see it's really unfortunately the opposite. The way we do things here is we get through the day and blah, 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 blah. So that's positive peer pressure. Now, even with the positive peer pressure, if you exploit this, like if you're a boss who says, well, look how well they do with the X number of calls today. Tomorrow, let's try X plus five. These great heroic people you have, it'll work for a while, but especially in today's environment, it's not going to work forever. I've never heard that phrase before, positive peer pressure. That's, that's great. Thank you. There's a woman named Deborah Tannen who wrote a book about it. It's an excellent book. But my theory of it personally is um, we always think of peer pressure as a bad thing. So I think only one teenager in the history of teenagers, and I don't know if he or she was a Native American, or if it was Sir Walter Raleigh. I'm not sure on this, but only one teenager invented smoking, right? They figured out how to cultivate the tobacco, hang it in their barn, roll it up. All the rest of the teenagers learned from that guy or girl because they wanted to be cool as well. So that's what we think of as negative peer pressure, but it can work positively as well. Let's talk about one of my favorite areas of customer service, and that's wowing. The customers. I, and one of my favorite stories from a previous podcast that we did a good few episodes ago, I'll link it in the show description, and it was about Intercom's notification sound. And just in short, a customer who had autism found the notification sound triggered her sensory overload. And, you know, if you're dealing with customers and the sound is binging all the time, you could tell it was really affecting her. But at the same time, she needed it. So she contacted us one of our customer support reps, he got in touch with one of our engineers and they worked really? with her to create like a whole suite of new sounds and enable a yeah. feature that, you know, if you wanted, you could turn it off. But now there's like, I think it's six or seven new sounds specifically. So you can kind of choose the one that would work best for you. That's amazing. Yeah, it, it is something else. So what are some of the amazing like wow moments that you've come across? 
Well, I won't be able to top that, but so the idea of providing wow customer service is that it creates stories. And look how it did this with you. Uh, you're telling the story right now. So humans tend to remember things in terms of stories. So if you can wow a customer, that can go a long way, partly with the customer and partly with other people the customer knows. We used to have this metric called lifetime customer value. But I think people are nervous about using it now because there's so many more brands and it's so much easier to switch. So what if you spend all this time wowing one customer and then their boss, the, they move to a different company or their boss says they have to buy from a different vendor. Well, was all that value lost? Well, yeah, some of it might have been, but there's still this what I call lifetime network value. That person is hopefully still spreading the story of when they were wowed by you. So wow customer service can be creating something great when nothing was going wrong. So as far as a specific example, the thing is there's two uses for wow. One is when something's going wrong and you create a spectacular recovery from it. And the other is, is when nothing's going wrong and you create something from scratch. So in the nothing going wrong category, my family was staying at a wonderful Ritz Carlton hotel in Arizona. And it was one of my kids' birthdays, and they were very into certain mythical characters at the time. And this was the only detail I told the Ritz-Carlton was that, plus it was their birthday. And when we got there, right before dinner, they said, could you come down to the lobby? We want to show you something. So we came down. I didn't know if they were going to show us the right way to dress for dinner or what it was going to be. I was a little nervous. They took us on a tour, and it was twilight. And we saw all of these mythical things. There was a scroll and um, it was just amazing. So that's wowing someone when uh, everything's going fine. When something's wow. not going fine, I think my favorite example is there is a truly five-star cruise line. It's called Seaborn with no E at the end, S-E-A-B-O-R-N. So it's as close to a five-star hotel experience as you could possibly get on the high seas. And that is, that's what they emulate. So imagine you are on a seaborne ship and it's one morning and everyone is lined up on the ramp to go onshore so that they can have a morning excursion in the little town in Italy or wherever it was. So... I don't even like to reenact this. It makes me so uncomfortable. But there's a couple there, and the woman, straight couple, there was a woman and a man. They're kind of young, and it's like practically just after their honeymoon. And she is putting lotion on her hand. And as you can imagine already, her wedding ring falls off. It hits the ramp, takes the worst possible bounce, and lands in the water. Oh, it no. is gone. She is beside herself. Her very nice husband, very empathetic, tries to comfort her. The very empathetic crew says, don't worry about it. When you get back, we'll have all the insurance paperwork filled out and you can just initial it. And have a great time on shore. Yeah, good luck with that, right? Uh, have a great time on shore. Now, the couple, they're good sports. They don't want to make anyone else feel bad. So they do go. They have an okay day. But it turns out that the wedding ring is an heirloom. It's literally speaking irreplaceable. So the promise about the insurance didn't really do much for them. They come back, they get back to their chambers on the boat, 
And there's a, you remember cordless phones? There's a cordless phone and the light is blinking. And they press on the messages button and it says, um, hi, I'm your steward. Uh, the captain wants to meet you for a few minutes once you're dressed for dinner. You do actually, you are actually supposed to dress for dinner. Not at the risk <laughs> problem, but on this particular ship. So they're like, oh, great. He's going to tell us he's sorry in the insurance paperwork. But they get there and the captain says, I hear you had some excitement this morning, which they don't love. It's maybe not the best choice of words, but they're like, yeah, we had some excitement. Then he hands them a box. Liam, what do you think was in the box? Was it the ring? It was another box. No, if I was captain, maybe it would be another box, but I'm not captain. <laughs> Clearly, this is why. <laughs> he wasn't a joker. Inside, as you guessed, was the ring. So what happened? What happened was the guests who were going on shore, they call them guests, not passengers, were gone. And then this cry went out, as I imagine it. Wedding ring overboard, wedding ring overboard. <laughs> and uh, the captain and the, the crew decided the only cure for this was to do what they could to get it back. So the captain calls a diving crew he knew was in the area and they say, nah, we're busy. Second one, nah, we're busy. The third one, as it always is with these stories, said, sure, we'll give it a shot. And the seas were somewhat calm and clear and incredibly, like a needle in a haystack, they found it. Wow. That, that is incredible. I mean, something so small. It could, ah, it's like a one in a million chance, I'm sure. It seems but they, like it. But they put it. the effort in. Absolutely. They gave and it this, the chance. This ring, this ring was unique, so they couldn't do the switching out the goldfish thing. <laughs> I love that. Like, is there ever, a, you know, a time when wowing customer is, is not the right strategy at all? Great question. And the answer is absolutely. So you need to be cognizant of if customers are impatient, if they just want something fixed right away, if they don't have time for all this wowing, all this mica-ing, have your feelers out for that. I completely think that's true. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with Intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service. And it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right, and see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. Anyone working in CS knows that customer expectations continue to rise 
our own customer service trends report for this year found that a whopping 83% of support teams are reporting that they've seen customer expectations increase over the past year. So I'm wondering, Micah, how can companies successfully align the customer experience in this new reality where, you know, the accelerated pace of the consumer life has changed the expectations of customers? So the first thing to do is you can't ignore it. I mean, we are in Seattle and this is Amazon's world and we only live in it. Amazon actually, this is true, they actually applied for a patent to ship things before you even know you want to order them. It's true. What does it mean? It means that they know so much what Liam or Micah wants to order that they ship it to the nearest warehouse. And then when I think with my own free will, I'm ordering it, they're like, yeah, we'll get it to you in a couple hours. Absolutely true. Now, if I can make an aside, Amazon, to some extent, is a company that is all about the customer and only intermittently all about the employee. I do find that to be the exception. By and large, the companies that win best for customers are also best for employees. By and large, I do find those two lists correspond. So you can't ignore that uh, expectations are rising. It's not going to work. So number one, be aware of it. Number two, tell your boss because the boss is going to need to get some more employees Number three, always still try to only think of the customer in front of you. It's really hard. The customer doesn't want to hear about your organizational chart. They don't want to hear about the other customers. And they don't want you to be acting like, oh, I've had the same question 80 times. It's got to be fresh question for you. And you're probably going to want to bring technology into, <laughs> into the mix, right? If you can bring in AI, even if you don't use any customer-facing AI, and if you're like a luxury brand, you probably don't want to do a whole lot of customer-facing AI for most of your customers. I mean, I was just talking about the five-star hotel where for the kids' tower, they have two robots that serve popcorn and stuff. But (laughs) great, right? So, uh, Because that's entertainment. But anyway, even if you don't have customer-facing AI right now, it's extremely useful in helping employees serve customers better. It can make a generalist employee now be a specialist, right? Because your screen could be prompted with the information that the customer is probably even next going to ask about. Micah, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Just before we finish up, where can people go to keep up with you and your work? It requires being very good at spelling or being an expert (laughs) on the Bible. You should go, well, you can just Google my name and I'll come up. But, but my name, here's the spelling, is Micah, M-I-C-A-H, Solomon, all O's in Solomon, S-O-L-O-M-O-N. So go to MicahSolomon.com and you'll get me. And in fact, I bought a few of the alternate spellings as well. So you'll be, <laughs> you'll be all right. Uh, you can text me as well if you want. My phone number is 484 in, in the U.S., Plus one, four, eight, four, three, four, three, five, eight, eight, one. And we have live chat on my website as well, which again is micasolomon.com. Perfect. I'll put all of those in uh, the show description so people can find them there as well. But Micah, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much, Liam. What a treat. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Micah Solomon. 
You can watch the video for this episode on our YouTube channel, and you'll find a full transcript on the Intercom blog. Both are linked in the show notes. I'll be back next week for more Inside Intercom. Thanks for listening. This is Inside Intercom.